Once again, beloved, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the first letter of John, 1 John chapter 2. Our focus will be verses 3 through 11. Verses 3 through 11. For a little bit of context, I'll begin reading in verse 1 of 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11 is our focus. We'll begin reading in verse 1 for a little bit of context. Hear now the reading of God's word. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. May he write it on our hearts this evening. Well, when we first began studying the first letter of John, I mentioned why it is that John wrote this letter he gives us his reason in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. He tells us he writes this letter to those who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. The Apostle John wants the church to live with true understanding about Jesus and also true assurance that they belong to him. John wants these believers who are facing false teaching to have assurance in the gospel of Christ. One of the questions is, how can we know that we belong to Jesus? And here John tells us what one of the distinctive marks of a Christian is. It's not necessarily how much theology we know. It's not how versed we are in our education of the Christian faith. But according to John, the chief mark of a Christian is love. Love is the litmus test of a true believer. Uh, You know, when it comes to John chapter 14 or the letters of John, you often see this phrase litmus test. And it's a really important one that I think connects well even with our text. Uh, Children, I don't know if you know what a litmus test is, if you've ever done one in school. But a litmus test produces a decisive result by measuring just one single factor. A litmus test is a very specific test. And when it comes to Christianity, you don't have to know 
lots of things about a believer in the Lord. According to John, there's one thing that shines forth, especially from a child of God, and that is true Christian love. And so love is the litmus test of a true believer. Love is the litmus test of a spiritually healthy church. And today we want to consider this chief mark of a Christian, this mark of love. And here John tells us three things about our Christian love. And the first thing he tells us, uh, that is a bit of a summary of last week, is that love is more than lip service. Love is more than lip service, verses 3 through 6. Here we see, as John speaks about love, he talks about some in the Christian community who are talking the talk, saying, I know God, but they did not walk the walk. They did not show any evidence that they actually followed Jesus. Again, you might remember there was false teaching floating around the church in John's day, and one of the false forms of teaching was called Gnosticism. We've highlighted that before. It was a teaching that claimed that the mark of someone who knew God was that they had a special experience of the divine. They had a kind of unique enlightenment from God. And if you had this experience, you again, you were part of the in-group. And in this view, it didn't matter so much how you lived in the body, in the flesh. It simply mattered that you had this special knowledge of the divine. And so some within this in-group, this enlightened group, might be looking down on these true believers in John's day, making them feel insecure about their faith. But John says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. John shows us that the real test of knowing God is not private experience, but public love. Or to put it another way, you are only as spiritual as you are loving. Perhaps some today, you know, put their trust in a particular experience they might have had of God at a summer camp or a unique burning in the bosom. God works in incredible ways to maybe give us assurance at particular moments in our lives. But John says here, do you want to know how you know that you know God? It's not because of some mystical experience but it's found in the fact that you love God and that is expressed by your sincere desire to walk in his commandments. John says, the one who keeps God's word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. This verse points to a Christian who has a full and genuine expression of love that goes beyond mere lip service. Their faith bubbles over in their life and in their actions of love for God and love for his people. Heidelberg Catechism 114 asks, Can those converted to God keep these Ten Commandments perfectly? The answer is no. In this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of this obedience. Nevertheless, with all seriousness of purpose, they do begin to live according to all, not only some of God's commandments. And so we see here a love for God that is more than lip service. It's a sincere desire to walk in the ways of Christ. So that's a bit of a summary of what we heard last week. But now let's look at the meat of our text and the second point about this love. This love that marks the Christian, this love is measured by Jesus's love. Love is more than lip service and love is measured by Jesus's love. And we see that here where first John seems to be saying two things. First, he says, 
you know, this command that I'm telling you is not new, right? It's not new. Uh, And that's true. This command to love one another is not new to the New Testament. This message stretches all the way back to the Old Testament, right? Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Paul says in Romans 13, 9, the essence of the Ten Commandments is love. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And so this call to love one another is not new. It's the bread and butter of God's law. It's the bread and butter of Christian living. In 2 John chapter 5, or 2 John verse 5, he tells us explicitly what this command is that he's referring to. He says, that which we have had from the beginning is the command that we should love one another. But then John turns right around and says, a new command I am writing to you. And so which is it, the Apostle John? Is this an old command or is this a new command? How is this commandment new? Well, this command to love one another is new as it comes to us from the hands of Jesus. When the law comes to us from the hands of Jesus, it's not changed, but it's heightened in light of who he is and in light of his great example of love. I think we see the newness of this command in John 13, 34, where Jesus says, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. What's new about this command? It's those words, as I have loved you. Believers show forth a unique Christian love in this way as they reflect Christ's love. And how did Jesus love? He loved and he served the unworthy. John 13, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Remember how the Lord of glory got on his knees like a slave to wash the feet of his dirty disciples, even washing the feet of his enemy, Judas Iscariot, who was to betray him. Then he said to his disciples, a servant is not greater than his master. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Jesus laid down his life for us when we were God's enemies. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 7 through 8. The Lord did not simply love those who were easy to love, but he loved those who were slow to understand, slow to obey, who even turned their backs on him the hour of his greatest need. At the heart of the Christian gospel, the good news of our faith is the manifestation of God's love for sinners. And those who have come to know God's love in Christ are then called and empowered by God's spirit to shine forth that same kind of love. In other words, as Christians who are following the example of Jesus by the spirit, having experienced his love, we no longer simply love the people that are easy to love. We don't simply love our family or our tribe or the people that are in our circles, but we begin to love even now people who are very different from us, even our enemies. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 46, if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Do not even the Gentiles do that? And so if we want to make true progress in the faith, 
we must learn to love people who are very different from us. Growing in this kind of distinct love is one of the great goals of Christian discipleship. I love how Calvin put it. He said, let him who would reach the goal of wisdom as to the right way of living make proficiency in love. The goal of a good men's study or a good Bible study or a good podcast or reading a good theology book isn't simply to get more knowledge, but it's to make you more proficient in love as a follower of Jesus. And so this command is new as it comes to us from the hands of Jesus. And this command is new, according to John, in light of the time we are living in. Notice what John says. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Verse 8. This is one of the most hope-filled verses in the whole Bible. Darkness, beloved, refers to this present evil age of sin. Darkness refers to our world that is under the curse of sin. We live in a day where there is darkness, where we see this manifested in hostility between man and his fellow man, hatred that is at the root of so much sin, right? In in many different ways on social media, on news and politics, uh, we don't see very often rational dialogue and disagreement, but we see people often simply being ugly to one another. Uh, It's so easy in our culture to even view our neighbor not simply as image bearers and neighbors, but simply as enemies and opponents. And as Christians, we are tempted at times to fall into these worldly categories of thinking and how we think about other people around us. Titus 3, verse 3 through 7 says this, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But John is calling us to love because the true light is already shining. And we as Christian believers belong to that light. This light is ultimately our Lord Jesus. John 1 verse 5, in him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, when Jesus was here on this earth and when he went to the cross, he won that ancient battle between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And he delivered at the cross the decisive death blow to Satan and to the powers of hell. And when he rose triumphant over the grave, he conquered sin, death and hell. And he brought about the hope of a brighter day and the light that shines into this world right now is the light of Christ's victory. It is the light of the new creation that will come and that has already come by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And the light of God's new creation brings life. It brings renewal. It brings peace. It brings reconciliation. It brings healing. It brings joy. And John says the true light, it's already shining. It's almost surprising how he puts it. Already, this light of Jesus is bursting into this world. And by the power of God's Spirit, 
people like you and me are experiencing forgiveness, experiencing liberation from sin, experiencing in our hearts assurance that we're headed to heaven because the light is already shining. Jesus is already reigning over all things. His enemies are already being put under his feet until that last one, death, is subjected to him. And John is saying, why are you to love? Why is this commandment new in him and in you? Because that darkness is passing away. The true light is shining and you belong to that light. Ephesians 5 verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Beloved, it's not the darkness of this world that we're last or it's not the darkness of this world that will last forever, but it is the light. It is God's love. And it doesn't always seem that way, right? Bad news seems so permanent. Wars seem to never go away. Injustice, public shooting, acts of violence. The list goes on and on about the ways in which darkness is a felt reality in this world, even in our own lives. But God is reminding his church through this letter today that darkness and the hate of this world is temporary. Tribalism and sexism and classism and racism, all the ungodly isms of our day, beloved, they all have an expiration date. The darkness is passing away and the true light, the true light is already shining The love of God in Christ will win the day because Christ has been raised from the dead. And by the power of the Spirit, the light has burst forth into our world. And God is calling us to love that we might bear witness to that light. That we might begin to shine as those who have been made by God and redeemed for his glory. And so what is unique about this love? Well, it's more than lip service. It's measured by Jesus' love coming to us from his hands in light of the day that we're living in. And then he tells us finally in verse 9 through 11, this love then is to be the chief mark of the Christian. And he reminds us here of the deep hostility that exists in our world He talks about those who love the brothers and abide in the light, but those who hate the brothers and are in darkness. You know, the first sin that we see explicitly after the fall in Genesis 4 is this enmity between a brother and his brother. We see Cain hating his brother Abel in his heart and giving rise to that hatred in an act of violence, hostility, And the same kind of hostility is in the human heart today. We like to see our political opponents owned in the public square, right? People we disagree with want them to look like fools. Perhaps we even like certain news outlets or like to follow certain people on social media because they're really witty and good at putting people down. And John is reminding us hatred belongs to the darkness of the world that is passing away. That's why John says, if we say that we're in the light, but we hate our brother, we're still in darkness. Just as darkness is the absence of light, hate is the absence of love. 
Hatred doesn't always mean that we outright are violent towards someone in our actions. But hatred also takes place when we disregard other people and we fail to love them. As we often pray in the prayer of confession in the morning, Lord, forgive us for the things that we've left undone. Forgive us for how we have failed to love people. Hatred takes place when we secretly disdain people in our hearts. When we look down our nose at people and we think we're better than them. Why is hatred so dangerous, beloved? Why should we avoid cultivating hatred in our hearts? John tells us because it blinds us. The first thing he says is it blinds us. The darkness, the hatred, it blinds our eyes, right? When our hearts are filled with hate, it blinds us from seeing other people as image bearers of God. And we simply see them as enemies or as opponents. Moreover, hatred blinds us to the weighty matters of eternity, And we simply are fixated on the temporary issues of the day. And we forget that that person that we disagree with has a soul that will last forever. Hatred blinds us from our own sins and from our own shortcomings as we focus on the sins and shortcomings of others. Beloved, we need to be careful that we avoid things in this world. We avoid people. We avoid platforms. We avoid outlets that stir up this kind of hatred or bitterness in our hearts. No, we avoid that because we don't belong to the darkness. We belong to the light. And that doesn't mean that we don't have backbones or convictions. Absolutely, we have these things. But we need to avoid controversies. We need to avoid people who stir up dissensions. Right? Paul writes about this all throughout his letters when he is talking to the church You could look at it on your own time. Romans 16, 17 through 18. Titus 3, 9 through 11, warning his church about people who stir up dissensions and avoiding such people. Again, as Christians, we have a backbone. We ought to. We ought to be spiritually mature people who have convictions on the various issues of the day. But we are people who hold together compassion and conviction. And we are to... Imitate people in this world who show forth these things. Again, people who help us to be more proficient in love. Second, John tells us hatred not only blinds us, but hatred also keeps people from seeing Jesus. And that truth is found in what he says here. The one who loves, he says, there is no cause for stumbling in him. Verse 10. If we hate other people, you see, we can cause believers or even unbelievers to stumble and not see Jesus. Parents, if we are always talking bad about other people or if we're complaining about other people always in front of our kids, it might cause them to stumble. If we find ourselves with our words struggling with gossip, and people around us hear us being negative with our words all the time or painting people in the worst possible light, people can see that and they will not be attracted to the Savior we claim to follow. It's not only ungodly progressive agendas that can tear apart the church of Jesus today, but when we talk the talk and we don't walk the walk, we also can cause people to stumble and to not see Jesus. And this is what John is warning us against. He's warning us about 
this hatred that causes people to miss Christ? How will this world know that we are true followers of Jesus and the one true God? According to Jesus, the evidence will be our love. The evidence will be how we love one another as Christ has loved us. That people might be able to come into a church or into a midweek Bible study or into a women's group in the church and they might come and walk away and say to themselves, wow, how those people love one another, how they care for each other. The culture out times might outsmart us. They might be wittier than us in their argumentation, but may people in this world never outlove the church of Jesus Christ. May the church of Jesus in the settings of God's people be the places of true love where people hear the gospel and even feel that gospel reality among us. In our divided culture and world, the church has the opportunity to shine this forth, shine this kind of love, to be people of truth and conviction, but to also be people of love and compassion winning not just arguments, but seeking to win people. Love is the litmus test of the Christian faith. Not how much you know, but how much you love. If I could finish Titus verse 3, after he talks about us passing our days in malice and envy, hated by God and, and hated by others and hating one another, he says, but then when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. God brought us into the light of the new creation, into the light of his love. And by his spirit, beloved, he enables us to let go of ungodly grudges, of enmity towards our neighbor, of hate in our hearts, by bringing us into the light of his new creation. Today, may God help us to behold the love that he has for us in his son, Jesus Christ, He loved us when we were his enemies, that Jesus laid down his life for us to bring us to the family of God. May we be filled with all of the fullness of God's love today so that we could walk in our Savior's footsteps as we love one another. Amen. Let's pray. Dear our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to be more proficient in love. For your word tells us that if we know all things and if we can do all things, but we don't have love in our hearts, we are nothing. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ. We thank you that because of his gospel, his life, death, and resurrection, the true light is already shining. And indeed, Lord, we pray that the radiant beams of his victory might shine through us into this world of darkness that your name might be honored and glorified among the nations. Father, hear our prayers for Jesus' sake. Amen.